Good morning and welcome to the Marysville 3CU Church. Every once in a while I give some more details. It's Marysville 3, if I do that backwards, right? And uh, cu.org, and we're on podcast, and I think in Facebook even it brings up a little podcast now um, that we're recording the audio, so you can watch it there. If you watch it live on Facebook, which you may or may not be doing right now, if you turn on your closed caption, for those of you that are hearing impaired, or uh, you can read things there, I know that we have uh, someone that uh, is deaf that does watch the messages from time to time or has in the past. Um, so we just invite you to be part of that and reach out at contact at marysville3cu.org is our email if you have any questions or anything like that. Let's go ahead and get into the message time. Have you ever been to... Uh, you may have met someone in a chance encounter at a store or maybe at a restaurant or, or someone and you're talking to them a while and you, got, you just get this sense, I wonder if this person's a Christian. They just have such a sweet spirit about them and how they talk. I wonder if this is a Christian. And sometimes you might want to kind of test them out and, because you're like, maybe I, I get along with this person. It's, it's good to talk to a brother or sister in Christ and develop another relationship. And so... Then you ask them, well, what church do you go to? And uh, they tell you, and you kind of share things, or you know, maybe maybe you've, uh, um, or maybe you've been around someone, and and uh, they've gone through some difficult time. You just see how they deal with it, and and you don't know them real well, but you're seeing how they deal with them, and you you're thinking they they must be a person of faith, a person that trusts in God. My question is, is when someone runs to you in a, in a, to a store, and after they talk to you a little bit, does that come into their mind of, I wonder if they're a Christian. I wonder if they're a person of faith. Is that the first impression they get from you? And when they see you go through difficulties, they say, oh, oh, that's, uh, I'd like to, i like to know where that person goes to church. They've really got something special going on. I, they must be a Christian. They, what, what do they have? That's, that's amazing. Is that, is that the questions that come to their mind when they talk to you? And they ask you. I know I've been to places. I remember not too long ago I was at an auction. And I was there, uh, there in an auction and it seemed like, and you've run across people like this in your life probably, every third word or fourth or fifth word, they kind of ended it's like ending a sentence with a period. They had to enter, enter every so many phrases with a cuss word. And I don't mean slightly bad words. I mean the heavy stuff. That's, their, that's how they talk. Just It does sadden me today to see uh, and hear of uh, uh, women today that so easily go down into that gutter language. Uh, it's just demeaning to them, and um, a guy shouldn't do it either, but, you know, I kind of like to put women on a pedestal a little bit and expect them to be examples of grace and, and uh, graciousness and fair or unfair, but that's, that's kind of what you would hope for. But that's the question, though, is what, what do people see in you when they are around you You've probably been around people like that. Maybe people that have been a Christian a long time in the church, and you're like, wow. And you hear stories. I remember a lady, I heard stories of, 
of uh, uh, this particular lady. You would see her, and she had a sense of blessing just to be around her, her bubbly spirit. And the, the squad came to pick her up because she was having health issues. And when they picked her up, they talked about how she interacted with the people on the squad. You know, just telling them about Jesus and things um, that were going on and just such an uplift. Just what impression do people get around you? And what do they observe during your difficult times? You know, what about those that are around you a lot in difficult and challenging times? What about when you are driving? When you are drying? You know, what attitudes, what language or gestures are you teaching those that are riding with you on how to view your fellow man? Whether it's your children or your grandchildren or somebody sharing a ride with you on people that are around you. Are they learning that that must be what Christians are and that makes it okay? Are they really learning what a Christian attitude is uh, when those that are kind of close to you? So I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Uh, 13 through 16. This happens to be, we were in Matthew chapter 5 in our Sunday school this morning. Uh, but this is the, the next passage of scripture after that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It might be a familiar passage to some of you. And uh, for some of you, it may, may or may not make sense. So we'll kind of expand on it a little bit. In verse 13 of chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to, throw, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what does that mean? You are the salt of the earth. Today, if I were to go out to get some fries... or maybe some potato chips, I probably could find some that were seasoned with sea salt. That seems to be a, a thing right now, sea salt. And can you imagine buying? Have you ever ate chips? If you like salt, some people really like salt, maybe too much salt. But you ever ate chips or ate fries or ate popcorn or something that says, it needs salt. It needs some salt. Now, have you ever ate those same pieces of food and you, and, and you eat them and you know there's salt on them, but you can't taste it? You might not have run into that. But when you say something needs salt, what if it already had salt on it? You would say the salt has lost its, in the old King James it might say savor, but it's lost its flavor. It's no longer salty. What this scripture is telling us it's not that we're to be, sometimes you hear the words, oh, they're a salty old man, or something like that. This is salt, meaning we should flavor, we should affect those that come in contact with us. 
And if we're no longer salty, then the salt, us, is no good. It's might as well just trample it under your feet. Which is an interesting saying because there were periods back at that time that salt was exchanged as payment. It was a commodity. But if the salt doesn't have its savor, it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything. When someone comes in contact with you, how are you flavoring, how are you impacting their life? We are to be that salt of the earth. We should have an impact in our community. We should have an impact in what goes on for children and for the elderly. And one of the ways we have that impact is through our boating. We salt and we season. But how we inter interact with others. I think there's, there's a battery company. I think it's Interstate Battery. If it's not, I apologize. And you ever seen that commercial that they have at Christmas time? And they do this commercial and, and, and I am nice to you. And that makes you feel a little bit better. And so then you're nice to the next person. And then that person is nice to the next person. It would be nice if we as Christians influence the community of the way that things should be done, the way that we should interact, the way that we should conduct ourselves. We would be a salt to the earth. But it continues, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. People are looking and you're illuminating and you are the light of the world. Now, what does a light do? A light exposes the darkness. If I take a flashlight and I'm going somewhere and, and I have the flashlight off, when I look into that corner, I can't see. There's things that aren't visible to me. But when we shine the light in the corner, then those become visible and upon becoming visible, they have the opportunity to be found. There are some people that don't have God in their life. And maybe life for them is very hard. And maybe they've grown up where sin is prevalent and they don't know that it can be any better. I one time was giving a paper on that had to relate to family, and I was in a, a setting where I was delivering in a college, and they weren't necessarily receptive to the Christian way of things, of, of a mother and a father. And a friend of mine, after class, he took the class with me, he says, I didn't know what you described in that paper existed, or would have known what you were describing in that paper existed if I had not had visited your home with your parents and seen it. He didn't have a father in the home with him. He didn't understand some of the values that I had picked up. But when we shine that light in the corner and they see that positive, it might be through our families, it might be through how we interact. When we shine that light, it brings them aware of their need of God. Billy Graham says we're born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And people are searching and you see them searching. They're trying to find solace, and they try to find it through 
alcohol or drugs or sex or fame or fortune. They're searching for something to fill that hole. We shine that light, that light on the hill, as God works through us. We are to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Does your light shine? What do people see when they see you? Can they tell that you are a Christian? What taste do they, you leave in their mouth when you depart from them? When you go your separate ways? What taste? What flavor? What have you lost your savor? Turn with me to the book of First Peter. We'll look at two passages in First Peter. First Peter is in the New Testament. Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter, three John, Jude, and Revelation. If you know your books of the Bible in order. But First Peter, we're going to look at two passages. Interesting enough, the first passage is First Peter one, chapter one, verses thirteen and sixteen. The second passage is First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen and sixteen. Verse one, verses thirteen and sixteen. Therefore, gird up your, the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy. For I am holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Not conforming, verse 14, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Now that you know better, ignorance you don't know. Now that you know better, Act better. Now that you know better, act better. Be holy in all your conduct. Not like you did before. Something should be different. Something should be different. You should be improving in your walk with Christ. You should have more saltiness, so to speak. Your light should be stronger, should be more consistent. It should be different. People should be able to tell a difference. Your children should be able to tell a difference. Your spouse should be able to tell a difference. Be holy in all your conduct. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 16. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even he who should suffer for righteousness' sake, excuse me, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
but sanctify, set apart, the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. Some uh, translations might say to give an account to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in, in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do you walk in such a way that people want to ask, why do you have hope? Do you conduct in the, some of the older translations, you might find the word, relate, when you see conduct, you might find words like conversation. And our conduct does tell a story. A picture paints a thousand words, they say. But does your conduct, the way you interact, present that you have a hope? And are you ready to prepare that, present that? Do you have a good conscience so that when they try to defame you as evildoers, they might be ashamed? It might fall back on them. When they start peeling it back, it's like, no, they're fine. They have a good conscience. They're clean. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You ever had that phrase or said that phrase? If I'm going to get in trouble anyhow, I might as well do it. Well, this is telling you no. No, it's better to, it is, if it is the will of God, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than to do for doing evil. Doing evil. What does your conduct project? Let me just back up. I didn't have this in my notes, but let's back up and go back to verse 8. But finally, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Once you think about a minute as we get prepared to go back to Matthew, back to uh, chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 33 and 37, through 37. Jesus was critical of some leaders of that day. But Jesus was not preaching against the government of the day. It was the Romans. 
Render unto Caesar that is Caesar, and unto God that is God's. He wasn't preaching against the Hebrew leadership either. He did get after the religious leaders. Just want to throw that tidbit in there. Maybe an observance for some of our preachers in the pulpits. Be careful. Just be careful. But Jesus harped after the religious leaders. Those were putting themselves as a way to righteousness. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. I guess it would help if I turned there. But as we're turning there, the... He is speaking in this passage of Scripture. If you were to go back to verse uh, 24 and 25, he begins this discourse after there he started asking some questions. But he knew their thoughts. In one of his responses, he says in verse 33, Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. It's known by its fruit. Verse 34, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What does your speech and your conduct say to God? What does your speech and your conduct say to those that are around you? As you throw a pebble in a pond or throw a pebble in a pool of water, it ripples out. And the highest ripples are the closest to where the pebble went in the water. you have the greatest influence on those that are closest to you. And though you say things to those that are far from you that you come in contact with, those people that are closest to you see you in public and they see you in private. And you have the greatest influence on the people that are closest to you. Whether it's spouse or children or grandchildren, and what impact are you bringing? Do you point them to God? Do you help them understand? Are they learning that, well, that's the way a Christian must act because that's what they're doing and they say they're a Christian 
But that's in contrast to Scripture. So what's what? Or do they say if that's what it means to be a Christian? I know some people will say that, not understanding and, and response. But if we have that consistency, eventually they're going to understand why we do what we do. When they come in contact with us, do they say, I want to know more about you. I want to be around you. I want to have what you have. I want to maybe know where you go to church. Or they say, oh yeah, they're another one of those people that say they're a Christian. I know what they're like. You know, there's some people that you'll run into if you're witnessing or talking to them about Christ and about the church. They'll tell you about a situation where someone in the church treated some other people in the church or treated their family in such a way. They're like, I don't want any part of that. If that's what it is, I don't want any part of that. The shame of it is, is that person's not going to want to go to that church, but then... The people that do those things get in the way. So now if I want somebody to come to my church, I've got to overcome the hypocrites in the church. And it makes it tough. It makes it tough. You know, when Jesus sent them out two by two, He sent them out and they were going to go out there and if the people... Didn't listen, they were shake the dust off their feet. The challenge we have in today's culture, I shouldn't say in today's culture, the challenge we have today, the challenge we've had maybe for a while, is we expect people to come to church regardless of what we do when we're out in the world. And all we do is reflect those bad images that they They've had from other people in the church acting like hypocrites. We don't point them to anything better. We might say, they know where we're at. They need to come. But are you living a life and your conduct such that it shines the light that they want to come? Have you developed a relationship that you can invite them to come? and got something that is consistent. It's also been said at some point where there is a point where some people you can't, you witness and you witness and you witness and you talk to them and they're kind of like Pharaoh, they, their heart becomes hardened and they just kind of turn. And scripture talks about shaking the dust off your feet But they were shaking the dust off their feet after they went out into the community and tried to reach them. I think as Christians we have to be careful about talking about shaking the dust off our feet when the only dust we have on our shoes is the dust we picked up in church. Because we haven't went out and asked anybody to come to church and then we wonder why nobody's coming to church. We haven't went out and acted like something that is desirable to be around. And so there's no one to come in. So we have to be care very careful that we just say, well, 
The reason I don't go out is because they know where we're at. And the reason I don't go out is because they're not coming in anyhow. And the reason I... Have you went out? Have you tried? Have you lived a life to make people want Jesus? Have you been that light on the hill? Or are you just kind of undermining the whole thing by being a hypocrite? I'd rather you were, as the scripture talks about, hot or cold. You're running along lukewarm. You want everybody else to be lukewarm. And so people see these mediocre Christians. Don't smile a lot. Can't say hi to people. Can't be nice to people. And then when you get to the church, they don't want you to sit in their seat in their pew. Because that's their assigned pew. Lord help us, if we're going to win the loss, we need to win some people in the church first. Just because you've been in the church for 50 years doesn't make you a model Christian. You need to have the Spirit of God doing something in your life and being mature and having an attitude that is faithful to God, have pure motives, have intent, and allow God to work on you. We have things that we need to work on. I have things I need to work on, but we need to allow... God to work on us and realize the impact that we're having to those that are around us and sometimes the ones that are closest to us. May Lord help us to be salt and light to the community, to our families, and to the world. And may we not undermine the witness of Christ. May we not undermine the impact that our churches can have on our communities because we don't want to open our hearts up to what God wants to tell us to do. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you would help us that we would be reminded that as we walk through life that you are watching that children are watching. The unsaved spouses are watching. The unsaved loved ones are watching. That our grandchildren are watching. Our neighbors are watching. And we are influencing those around us like that pebble and those ripples. But are we pointing them towards you? Are we pointing them towards our hypocritical life. Help us if we're going to wear stickers of Christian that we live up to them. Help us not perpetuate the hypocrisy of some religious people in the churches that are like the religious leaders of old in the New Testament They try to put all the strappings and trappings of Christianity on and on Sunday morning they're pious. But the rest of the week you wouldn't want to be near them. Lord help us. Lord help us to live the life that point people to Jesus. Lord help us to open our hearts to be molded and made into what you want us to be may we have a holiness of heart that desires you first and that you will guide and instruct our actions and our conduct our choices our priorities
that will allow us to be changed for you so that we might not lose influence. Or we might not damage the influence that people that are trying to follow you have. Or we might not get in the way of people that are trying to follow you. Help us to stay true to you. We keep you first in our lives. And be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.